0: This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network, Better Today, Better Tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode.
1: Welcome to the Counter Narrative Podcast, a show designed to change the way we talk and think about education. By sharing stories of successes and triumphs, we aim to challenge the dominant narrative that often negatively portrays our disenfranchised populations. I'm your host, Charles Williams, an urban educator for more than 15 years, a current school principal in Chicago, an educational consultant, an equity advocate, and the co-host of Inside the Principal's Office. Let's get started. In this episode, I chat with Marlena Gross-Taylor, the founder of EduGladiators and a nationally recognized ed leader with a proven track record of improving educational and operational performance through vision, strategic planning, leadership, and team building. A Nashville transplant originally from Southern Louisiana, Marlena's educational experience spans several states allowing her to have served K-12 students in both rural and urban districts. She has been recognized as a middle school master teacher and innovative administrator at the elementary, middle, high school, and district levels. Because of her sound knowledge of both elementary and secondary education, Marlena has broad-based experience creating and implementing dynamic interactive programs To attain district goals while leveraging her flexibility, resourcefulness, and organizational as well as interpersonal skills to foster learning through a
0: positive
1: and encouraging environment. Marlena's professional development expertise has national attention and she serves as an AMLE middle school expert. She has also leveraged her past experience in corporate management to include corporate training and leadership coaching in her repertoire of consulting services focused on culture, engagement, and increased productivity. Marlena is a seasoned presenter keynoting conferences and delivering dynamic professional development sessions. During our conversation, we explored both code switching and assimilation, recognizing our own roles as parents who contributed greatly to teaching our children to fit into the dominant culture, as opposed to defying standardized norms that so often do not accept our own definitions of fashion, style, and beauty. Marleno points out that we are not alone in this mishap because we, like so many others, were not taught our history and thus were primed to regurgitate the same messages that we consumed while growing up in diverse deficient communities. All is not lost, however, as we explore potential solutions, including becoming knowledgeable about our ethnic journeys and sharing that information with as many people as possible. We must make as much noise, if not more, if we too want to be heard. Are you ready to hear some more? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Counter Narrative Podcast. Always thrilling to have you, my listeners in this space. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. This is a guest that I have had on my list for a while now. So I'm very excited that we get to connect. And I've been fortunate enough to share uh, some spaces, mostly in the Twitter world especially on a Saturday morning chat for EduGladiators. So this morning, or this morning, it's Saturday mornings. Uh, But today I have Marlena Gross-Taylor in the space. How are you?
0: Hi, Charles. I'm so glad that you've been able to pop in our EduGladiators Twitter chat.
1: Yeah, you know, it it is a great space. I'll be honest. I I don't get in as often as I want to. And then I kind of tell myself, like, you could always go back and join the chat later. And then, you know, Saturdays happen.
0: Absolutely. No worries about that.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for joining the show um before we move forward into the conversation, could you do me a favor and just talk a little bit about you know who you are, the role that you currently have, kind of your journey uh, into education and the one thing I always love to hear is maybe something about you that not many people know.
0: Oh, awesome so i have a I think everybody has unique stories that that lead us to this particular profession. And I would imagine that your listeners probably have one that's very similar, being that I never wanted to be a teacher or an educator of any kind, ever. I come from a family of educators. My mom uh, is a retired principal. All of her brothers and sisters um, were involved in the school system at all levels of, of teaching and or leadership. And that's just like my family story. So I grew up with it and said I would never do it, but uh, here I am. And the reason why, and this really feels like my passion uh, behind it, I'm from Louisiana, born and raised, go Tigers, go Jags. And unfortunately, my experience in school just wasn't the best. Now, I was very good at school, so I never had problems with grades or anything like that. However, definitely had to stand up for myself and even others, not just academically, but also um, for uh, social justice type issues as well. So once I had my own children, uh, I decided then that I really wanted to learn everything that I needed to from an educator's perspective, because I just didn't want my kids to have that same experience. And I wanted to be um, a support, not that I could, Ease or prevent them from experiencing some of the things uh, that I knew they would experience, especially being black boys at the time. They're young men now, but I wanted to make sure that I knew the system, so I knew when I needed to step in, as well as when how to coach them as, as well and how to coach them effectively in um, advocating for themselves themselves. So with that, uh, that kind of brought me into teaching, and um, from there quickly uh, went into administration and again not because I wanted to so I'm convinced now if I say I don't want something it will happen but uh you, you don't
1: in, want to win the lottery
0: right well except for that right like those are the things that will have that won't happen if I want it to happen but uh, but I went into administration and and in between all of this time I, I do want to just note um I was uh, married to my first husband at the time and his job moved us all around just climbing the corporate ladder so I never had a Probably finding a job. But once the kids got a little bit older and hit middle school, that was um, that was our decision to like not move anymore. So I've had the opportunity to teach and or lead in uh, different educational settings from rule uh, to Rural North Carolina, I'd say, as well as to just the, the suburbs of, of, of Baton Rouge, where I'm from, um, as well as the big city in Atlanta and Gwinnett County in particular, uh, to Nash, Nash, Vegas um, and Williamson County, just south of uh, Nashville proper. So where all of your country music folks live and uh, and then really moved out to to Denver, moved out to um, Douglas County. And from there, I uh, went to Wyoming where I currently live in Cheyenne and, uh, and still work though in a school district just across the border back in Colorado and, and love what I do. So I think because I've been through all of those different experiences, um, it's prepared me to really do what I said at the beginning, be able to navigate and help kids and even adults advocate for a positive learning experience as well um, so that's that's my story in a nutshell now. the fun fact i was I will tell you probably heard it that most people may not know is that um, that I did uh, move to Wyoming and i've been here for a couple of years now, and I love it. Um, I love my new hubby too and and this is where he's from, and it is just so similar to Louisiana. Uh, in so many ways, um, the open spaces, just everybody really having a, a strong sense of of community, and uh, it's just wonderful. So I would have never guessed in a million years. Uh, actually, I think I said that, Charles. I will never live anywhere where it's cold, and here I am.
1: And and there you are. You know, I don't know if I want my wife to listen to this episode. We we love Louisiana. She also loves the cold, which I do not. So the fact that you're saying, which I would never have guessed either, Wyoming and Louisiana, very similar. She's going to be like, let's pack up. That's that's what works.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, it is very similar. <laughs> all right, all right. I,
1: I will take your word for it. At some point, I guess I will have to venture out that way and see for myself. So uh, thank you for that. That is something new that I learned.
0: Yeah, no worries.
1: <laughs> so, you know, the the whole point of this show, and clearly, you know, you, you started talking a little bit about it, this idea of saying, Hey, you know, my my experiences in school, you know, were great academically, but you know, there there were some social issues that I had to deal with, and you know, stand up, not just for myself, but for my peers, you know, and then you know, kind of setting myself up to make sure that my my children, you know, were okay. And so I'm curious. You know, along that journey, as well as, you know, you you clearly have worked in in, in a multitude of spaces, you know, and I'm sure each unique in its own way. You know, if we can dive into one of the challenges that you've had where you wouldn't say or or countering that narrative, where you said, Look, I know this is a dominant story. I know this is what is always said, but I want to present, you know, maybe another look at that, or I want to push back on this idea because that wasn't always my experience.
0: Mhm yes i have a um uh, i have a a story that comes to mind right away um so growing up in the south and um especially growing up in the south when i did there were lots of things that we didn't have right um we didn't have martin luther king day i remember marching for that and 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 lots of different things around equity around our special education was in a separate hallway i remember it being the red hallway in, um, in middle school and high school, and being gifted, I was in the red hallway and just I was able to see things, right? But what really, what really, what, what experience I really had to, I really had to present the counter narrative of and was proud to do so and proud that I have done so um, and really just kind of reignited my, um, my advocacy is when I was growing up, I was not allowed to have braids in my hair. Was not allowed to have braids. My parents, my grandparents, my family—they were very uh, strict in coaching us in code switching, and not so much from just language um, and how we dress, but our hair. And that was just something that um, my my mom and my grandparents, my grandmothers in particular, were um, just really cognizant of. Like you know, just that was just something I could not do. And so, again, if I said I was never going to do something or I can't do something that's going to make me want to do it. Um, So I've always wanted that. I was always, like, wanting to have the barrettes in my hair like, uh, you know, like the girls I would see on TV sometimes or when we would travel. We we traveled uh, quite a bit on family vacations, and I always thought that was really cool. But I never let my hair go natural. So fast forward to when my uh, kids are in high school and my youngest son – Uh, in particular, he, uh, has hair, uh, like his father and it is, and his father's black. Um, but his hair is what black people would say is good hair, which I even hate that term, but good hair, right. It's curly, a lot of mixing and mingling in the bayou, right? So we have a lot of, lot of mulattoes and quadroons and all those things that happen in the South. So, um, his dad is definitely, you know, a product of that. So his hair, you know, is curly. Well, my youngest son, Colin, Colin is literally the best human, like truly the best human and will do anything for anyone. I, I've, taught, I've taught my boys how to code switch very well as I was taught. And one when, when they came home one particular day from high school, uh, you know they are upset. He and his brother, his older brother, and they ended up telling me what happened. And he was called out, Charles because they had recently, uh, well, it was always in the, the handbook. I just never noticed it, and I and I should have, and I never noticed it. But he was called out in front of his peers about his hair, accusing it of being in twists, and his hair is not in twists. It's just curly like his daddy's, right? And he had to change it, and he couldn't have twists in his hair. It was done in front of his peers. Um, it was done uh, in front of... Uh, changing of classes in high school. And they uh, graduated from um, a private school in in Brentwood, Tennessee. And he had been there since sixth grade, his hair hadn't changed. (laughs) So when that happened, as they're telling me the story, I'm just enraged. Like, I'm enraged, I'm guilt. A lot of it is guilt. Because what I realized is that, number one, I did not equip them in how to deal with that in particular. Their dad had coached them like, you know, you want to make sure your hair is like low and not grow out too, too much and all that instead of really, um, really valuing how they look in all, in all ways. Right. But that's, what, that's how he was taught. That's how I was taught. Doesn't make it right. Just is. So I felt a lot of guilt about that. I also felt quite a bit of guilt because I was super active at their school. And I didn't catch that in their handbook. So I needed to advocate for my kid. That was not a battle that he needed to fight first. I needed to stand in front of him and fight that even though he was in high school and he handled the situation as best as he could. You know, he, he still didn't, he was yes sir, no sir, cause it's the South. And, um, and also saying my hair is not in twists. This is not what my hair is. I'm happy to show you what twists look like on my phone but that's not my hair. So I'm proud of him for doing that. But I had to go up to that school the next day and I met with the headmaster. And uh, I brought a friend of mine who was white, but also a former employee lawyer. And I needed that, um, I needed her to be there. And she has lots of experience in, in that particular area of, of um, diversity and, and harassment discrimination in the workplace. And I remember um, talking to the headmaster and I asked him, and I, before that, let me say, I gave him some pre-work. So I sent him several articles about um, hair and black hair and all the things around the discrimination around that and how most schools have moved away from that, right? Like taking out that discriminatory language. And uh, as we were talking in the conversation, I asked him, you know, what, first of all, what's the problem with this hair? And he said, well, you know, I, I I just, he said, I just did it. I've never, you know, when I think of like clean cut, I think about my grandfather and all these things. And I said, but here's the difference. My grandfather's hair did not look like your hair as a white person. I said, and my grandfather was actually biracial, but his hair didn't look like that. I said, the boys' grandfathers, their hair was not like that. I said, so what you're saying is that clean cut means it has to look like you, dominant culture. And that's wrong. And I'm going to help you change that. And not only are we going to change that and take that out of the handbook digitally um, and make sure it's not in there in the print version. But I'm going to help you help your teachers never to call out a black student or any student for that matter, but a black student about their hair when you don't even know the difference between a twist and their natural hair. And it's discriminatory. I said, or I'll have a hallway in the school named after me. Your choice.
1: So, is there a hallway and, named after you?
0: No, because he changed it. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and then here's what he said. Lot just stood up. He said, Well, I just, you know, it's just, you know, a sign of in, like in the workplace to be professional and all that stuff. And I said, I told the headmaster, I said Hem. I said, Look, we literally have Fisk University. We have, um, Tennessee State University. We have Meharry College literally down the street. Those folks are more educated than you are. They are uber professional and smart, and it's not because of how their hair looks. But if we need to go take a field trip, we can do that right now. So that led to some immediate changes happening at their school, but it also led to an opportunity to debunk his misinformation about black hair and what's acceptable and what's not, and really have him think about the standard of beauty or acceptance being based in white colonialism and white supremacy.
1: You know, as, as you were talking, you know, I, I'm unpacking just mentally, uh, you know, my own experiences and things that I've you know, seen and witnessed. Uh, and you know, the first thing that I I think about is that, you know, and I've shared the story in some places that, that my grandfather, uh, was really like my father. He was my parental figure. Uh, you know, my father was not present and then he passed away, uh, when I was young, but I remember in middle school specifically, uh, you know, it was, it was the cool thing to do is to have, you know, the fades and the Mm -hmm. design in your hair. And, you know, when you're a middle school boy, or I just just say middle schooler, you're you're extremely impressionable, right? And, and as we mm-hmm. know, you know, we are hardwired to fit in. And so the, the the one thing that I wanted more than anything was to have, you know, a cool design right in my hair. And I remember yes. my grandfather telling me like that, that's not acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. You need to keep your hair at a respectable length. Uh, And I had super, super curly hair, I mean, I would be able to hide pencils and things inside my hair It was super curly, right? Uh, Yeah. And I remember going to a local barbershop. That was all, you know, older white men. And they would kind of clean up my hair, I guess, to the best of their ability. But I was, I never really got to get anything else. And I remember the reason why is he told me he said, you'll look like, and, and, and the, the word now strikes, I think, in a whole different way, uh, mm-hmm. just because of everything that we've seen in the media. But he said, you'll look like a thug. Right? Like, I'm not allowing you to do that. I don't want all of the things that come with that for you to experience that. You need to be respectable. You need to be presentable. Right? All, all of the things that you're just saying, mm-hmm. because, again, it was rooted in this place about, your your hair is not going to look exactly like ours, but if we can make it fit to the best of our ability or to the standards that we say are okay, then it's acceptable. But if you get it cut short, if you and and I remember, I remember in high school I started cutting my own hair, and mm-hmm. I would right, I, I would take it down and it would be faded. And every time I saw him, he's like, it's it's getting shorter and shorter. You know, you, you you look like, you know, that you're you're in a hoodlum, like you're all these things. And I'm like, first of all, I literally use the same settings. Like, it's not getting straight. Right. Uh, I am now bald. So it is different. I, it is much older <laughs> now. <laughs> but, you know, and, and I think like you were saying, he came from a place of I'm not trying to be mean. Right. I'm not trying to, you know, overstep. I'm trying to protect you. But I only know what I know. Right. Mm -hmm. And so growing up, that same idea of code switching, like I had to learn, you know, those same exact uh, those those same exact things. And for those of listeners, and and I want to say this, because I know Marlena said at the top of this, you know, her sons who are young men now, you know, for people are like, why are we having this conversation? It's so old. Does that stuff even happen anymore? Uh, So just just so you know, like Pritzker here in Illinois just signed into, uh, action this past July, not like 10 years ago, 20, this past July, it literally just became illegal to discriminate on hair. Like it's mm. 2022 <laughs> and we just now passed that law. So for those of you who are like, wait, this is still a thing. It's still very much a thing.
0: Absolutely. And Charles, I'll tell you another fun fact about that. Um, during the pandemic, UPS finally took that type of discriminatory language around hair—you know, no twists, braids, and things like that—that that are that are targeting only Black people. Exactly. Right. Yeah. They took it out of their um, their dress code. UPS. 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 So there's so much work. There's so much work to be uh, to be done there. But can I can I just share this? They are, well, fast forward after that happened, a few years later, um, two years later, I I decided to let my hair grow out, you know? And um, I took out all the extensions and all the things, right? That is so harmful to black hair. Yeah, yeah. And I took all those out and let my hair start growing out and had um, protective twists in my hair as my hair was growing out of the relaxer, right? And at this time, at this time, I remember um, I was going through my divorce, but I remember my ex-husband saying when I when I came home from the uh, from the shop, he's he came by and he saw and he was like, huh, and he didn't like it. He didn't like it. And he said, I didn't know you. uh, I didn't know you were so power to the people. Oh, wow. And, and the reason why I share that story, right, because he was just what you said. He was, he was brought up the same way. And so fast forward to meeting my now hubby, who is white and from Wyoming, let me say. The first thing when he, when he saw me, because we met during the pandemic, the first thing that he said when he saw me, he said, I love your hair. And so I'd had to do a double take because I had been conditioned right? And I had to do a double take. And I was like, wait, what? Like, that's not what you're supposed to say. I didn't say that part out loud, but I said, really? And he asked, he was like, it's beautiful. He said, you're beautiful. He said, it's so different from mine. And I loved that. And so when I think about the programming, when I think about the narratives, when I think about him who had never been to school uh, with black people. We have one black girl in this class for maybe a year or so in high school, never went to school with anyone black, right? How how ironic that he was so accepting and my black now ex-husband was not. And so what it makes me think about when we think about counter narratives, yes, that's an obvious, obvious, you know, counter narrative that I was able to share with my son's school. But I think it also goes to the fact that we can't assume that everyone and even every white person has those same, um, those, they've been programmed to, and that, they, and that they act or have those same uh, biases. I know most do. I, I'm very firm in saying that at the heart of it, all white people in America, at least, that's all I can speak for our races, that's just the nature of our, our country and how it was formed. But everybody has room because we're educators at heart. Everybody has room and opportunity to learn. So when they know better, they can do better. And that just that just really showed that to me, that not everyone has that experience, right? And that so much is based on our, what they see on TV, uh, white people see on TV, because there's not enough black people for them to even have a black friend for most white people. From Pew Research Group, so we just can't assume ill intent, but we have to be ready to teach and also not afraid to call it out when we see it.
1: So I, I think you touched on something, and, and I want to jump into this portion. And sure. and, and, and I think it, I think it's great that you pointed out, you know the 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 differences right between your your ex husband who was black and his reaction to your hair you know, compared to your current husband. Um, and and it's absolutely right. Like the the conversations that we're having are not just, I guess, reserved for one group of people, right? The, Mm -hmm. this idea, the mindsets behind hairstyles as one example, because there are many, Mm -hmm. but the mindsets behind them, you know, are shared by various groups of individuals and and what that hairstyle represents and depending on who has that hairstyle, because as you mentioned, you know, if I have twists or braids or dreads, right, those things mean different things depending on who they are. And and so the fact that we're still having this conversation is is the second part of this that I want to kind of go into like, why? Why are we still having this conversation around? things such as hairstyle because as you know as i said it's not just hair but there are these common misconceptions preconceived notions about well this kid has you know twists or he has braids and i immediately have certain perceptions about him
0: mhm mhm so um part of my work what i do now in my current school district is um chief equity and academic officer and mm, the, the why we're having these conversations still is, I think, um, for two main reasons. Number one, we don't teach our full history. And this is what happens when you don't teach the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Um, particularly, particularly knowing that so many, well, again, this is research-based. Most, most white people do not have a black person in their realm work with, friend, you know, spending their Saturday with. So we have that. So there's no one there to help white people um, process when they see something, especially if it's something that is truly a a stereotype or discriminatory on TV or, you know, social media now. They don't even have, they don't even have a black friend or a black coworker um, to ask questions with. So that's an issue. We need to teach our full history. It's as as much as it is important for our black kids to know it as it is for our white kids. So we don't keep uh, perpetuating this. Right. We have to change that. The second thing is, and I was just sharing this with um, sharing this with someone uh, this past or last week. You know, there's lots of research in how to address uh, bias and our policies and our practices in school, out of school, you know, government workplace. But there was a study done. I don't know if you're familiar with this study that was done, in oh gosh, in about the ni- 1997, 98, I believe, if I if memory serves me correctly. And this study was really looking at how do we change perceptions of people, um, perceptions people have about other groups, right? And so in India, and uh, in there, you know, India has like just a bazillion people in India,
1: sure,
0: in the country, India. They started this research there. And so what they did was they had uh, the government in India at that time told all of the villages that they had to have their village councils be comprised of at least 30% of women. Okay. The villages, the village uh, councils have been primarily men, if not entirely men for centuries, like forever. mm mm-hmm. So when they did this, of course, there was a little backlash, but the government said, you know, this is what we're doing. You always are going to have a few people that don't do it. And they never saw any gains and in growth in, um, in their, their goals that they may have had as a, as a village council. But the ones that did, a majority did do it. The ones that did do that, within a relatively short amount of time, perceptions of women as effective leaders changed goals that villages have been trying to accomplish were reached because women lead differently from men. One is not better than the other, but everyone needs someone to look out for their blind spot, right? So Norway, then when those, when those results were released, Norway, the country Norway, um, had all of their corporate, corporate boards pass the law. All corporate boards have to have 40% Forty percent of women, right? Just women, not even talking about race. Like just women, they saw the same things, Charles, and they saw that they had a greater pipeline of women that were that were in companies that never saw a pathway for them to have a stronger voice in leadership. Representation matters. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So until we start. Well, I'm gonna put it like this. Imagine if every school uh, board, if every school district office had 30% representation of BIPOC. I wouldn't even say black, just BIPOC. Imagine what our school system and our school experience would be like for teachers and especially for our students. That thirty percent is the marker. So, after the horrific murder of George Floyd, many uh, school districts um, and corporations, as you uh, probably recall, were quick to to jump on. Yes, we need to do something about this, which wasn't bad. Like, yes, this finally we need to address this, but it manifested itself in hiring one person. One equity person, one diversity person. And normally it was a black woman because they could check off two boxes. And within six months to a year, that diversity um, or equity uh, lead in that company or that school normally left because one person is not enough. No. You need 30%. That is the minimum 30% in order to change stereotypes that the dominant culture of that organization or are or, you know has you need a minimum of
1: 30%. So you know as, as you were mentioning the, the the study so of course I I would like to look it up really quick as you were chatting about it. Mm-hmm. Uh you know and you and you are absolutely right uh it was started in 98 um and it, it, I I was not aware of this but it it makes absolute sense I think for so often Right. And I know a lot of times we, like in America, right, we, we tend to like, oh, this is a problem kind of unique to our country. And it's like, no, th- there are issues, right? Race issues, mm-hmm. gender issues, like around the world. Um, But regardless of what those spaces are, right, there's this idea that this is how we have operated. There's a status quo. There are those individuals who are in power who benefit, right, from Mm-hmm. the structures that are currently in place. And as we know, systems do what systems are designed to do, right? And it is backed by, and I don't understand why or where this really came from, but the, the idea of that zero-sum theory, right? In order mm-hmm. for you to do better, I have to give something up. And it's fascinating when a company or an organization or, you know, whatever it is says, hey, you know what, we're going to do this thing, right? We're, we're going to give it a shot. And then it's like, oh, wait it, it, it works. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, I didn't have to give anything up necessarily. Maybe my friend, right. Is no longer on the council, but guess what? Like we're, we're, we're moving in the right direction or as a company, our profits are doing even better. You know, we're, we're all benefiting. Mm-hmm. We're all gaining, uh, you know, from, from stepping into a different space. And I think we're, we see that as you, as you mentioned, they're, they're happening in pockets um, you know, unfortunately, it took the murder of somebody, uh, right, in order for us to really like spark that all up again, and for us to say, okay, like let let's let's attack this thing again with a renewed sense of vigor, right? And then you have idiots like Yeezy, but that's a whole nother conversation.
0: Bless him. <laughs> um, so my bless question, his heart.
1: Yeah, like bless something. Um, so. <laughs> so You know, people, I'm sure they're listening to this and they're, you know, Marlena Charles, we get it. Like what we're talking about isn't new, right? The, the structures have been there. These systems have been there. Clearly we're still having these same conversations and it makes sense what you're saying. Here's this Mm -hmm. idea, this 30%, but maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher right in, in, in a classroom. Maybe, you know, I'm an administrator in this space. Like if you could give the listener something that they can do, like in their spaces right now, because maybe maybe I don't lead up an organization that I can say, hey, right, we're going to comprise 30 percent of our board or we're going to do like what is something that they can do to say, hey, you know what, we we know this is an issue. We've seen this. How can I push back in my space, you know, as early as the day after listening to this? Or maybe they're listening to it on their way in. I don't know. And they go into work all fired up and hopefully you don't get fired for it. But, you know.
0: Yeah, Right because that let me just say what you said at the end hopefully they don't get fired for it that would be i would say probably the third reason why we're still having these conversations because there is retaliation nine times out of ten right and if you are a, a white person yes your recovery time is a lot a lot shorter but no one wants to be fired right especially for standing up for what's right but I would just say imagine for people that do that anyway right that take that chance i don't i don't i don't have that ability or that privilege not to do it not just because my kids are out of k-12 but there's other black and brown and 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 trans and gay and you just you know the list goes on of kids kids with disabilities that need someone to stand up or stand in front of them right so i would say that if you're listening to this podcast one of the things that I've learned because I've worked in primarily white uh, school districts, and this is no different where I am now, is that one thing I've learned that we can we can take a play out of um, out of the playbook of even white supremacy and all of these groups that have organized to, um, you know, stop the teaching of all of our history and stop the implementation of these strategies is we got to do what they do. You need to go speak at your board meeting. You need to rally people because right now everything is about, I hate to say this, but it's just the truth right now. You are, the loud will gets attention. The loud will actually does get attention. Now that degree of, of attention varies, but they get attention. Go and sign up, mark on your calendar, look, when is your next school board meeting? right? Because it's public comment that has to be a part of all school board meetings. Go speak. Have kids come up and speak. Talk, to these, talk with your students about things because you can relate it without, um, you can relate all these things to our history because it's there, right? It's in the books that we're using. Um, have them go up and speak. Write your, uh, your board members. Write your superintendent. Let them feel that pressure. I would even say reach out to news stations. Or have your, if you're, and if you're that scared of retaliation, you have, you have a neighborhood, you have friends, at, sit with them and, and strategize and have them do so, right? So it's not pointing directly at you. But until we start making as much noise as some of these fringe groups that feel really, really loud right now, until we start doing that, we're going to be drowned out right? Like we can't just always just um, default to, well, we're just only going to talk about positive things. That to me, that's the same as saying, I don't see color. That can't be me. I need you to see me. I need you to talk about the messy things, the full things, the fullness of our history, because that's our history, not just mine as a Black person, but ours, this whole country. That's our history. And if we don't learn about it, We will repeat it. And that's what we're doing right now. We're repeating it.
1: You know, I I love the fact that you said, first of all, like, let's be as loud as them. Right. And I I can't immediately as you started talking about this, I I thought about like, you know, January 6th, for example. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're absolutely right that the outcomes are often different. Right. When we are Mm -hmm. as loud as other people, right, that message is just like hair. right? It, it is mm-hmm. perceived differently. Uh, there are different reactions towards us. I remember going into work, right, and, and talking to my, my, my staff. And like I said, could you imagine if it was us who who decided to like, Hey, you know what, we're gonna go march on the Capitol? Like, I, I mm-hmm. we, we wouldn't have made it through the through the door, right? Let alone to the building, like, the, the response would have been different. And and mm-hmm. what I want to say is that, as you mentioned, maybe you're not always in a space that is comfortable. And I and I started saying this a while ago, but the more I say it, the more it makes sense to me, is that. We need to build support systems and network systems that if you are that squeaky wheel, if you are willing to go to the board, if you are willing to go to the news stations, if you're willing to stand up and call attention to a situation and your employer, as wrong as it is, says, you know what, we're going to retaliate. You no longer have a job here for us because there, are, I know there are plenty of us in education, even though we we talk about the, t- the 2% of black male educators and things mm-hmm. like that, th- there are enough of us and enough spaces to say, you know what, do what you need to do because there are more and more and more and more of us. And I, and I'm discovering that the more that I spend in our, in our edge Twitter spaces and other like that, if something happens, we can help and take care of one another. Like mm-hmm. that is my goal. And I, and I don't know how this is going to look down the road, but to create a system like, you know what? No, stand up and speak because if it happens, you will be okay. And I get that. It's scary, right? My, I, I we, you know, my children, my my baby just went off to college, right? It's not like I have little ones anymore. I get what that's like, and so mm-hmm. I don't want people listening to this like, Charles, you don't, you don't get it, you don't understand. You're, you're, like, I get it, but I'm also at least like, if you're in a space around me, like if you're in the Chicagoland area and you do that, guess mm-hmm. what? I have a network of people, and I, and I'm even doing it now, right? Mm-hmm. My old job. And I and I left a a podcast about this. I said, you know what? What you guys are doing is wrong. I'm not even giving you a chance to fire me. I'm walking away. But as people have been falling off of that boat, guess what? They're landing at my new school. Mm -hmm. What I'm like, look, look, I got you because this is what we need to do. We need to be okay to stand up and not be afraid of the potential fallout. So I'm just I'm glad you said that, like stand up and speak out, because until our the level of our voices, the volume of our voices right matches that of the others like you said we're always going to be drowned
0: up absolutely i mean look at the look at the election look at the states that ensured that we did not have another four years of chaos not that these lines, so far in our new presidency has been perfect cuz it is not but look at the states and the and and the race of those folks in those states that shifted that, right? I don't know if you've read uh, Charles, um, the devil you may know, but Charles Blow, where he talks about reverse migration. And in his book, he talks about, uh, and this is his latest book. He talks about how, uh, how our our voting power, because of how the lines are drawn for voting, um, how that was really the, the, the cause of having uh, the Red Summers, right? And the increased violence against, uh, you know, now free Black people at the end of the Civil War, because we we had more voting the way they had it structured, right? We had Black people actually were the majority or would have the majority voice. So in his book, The Devil You May Know, I encourage you to read it. He talks about this idea of not everybody has to move back to the South. But at that time, the South the South has always been the the core uh, economic um, power of the United States. And it still is, even to this day, it still is, right? And so he talks about if if enough people move back in key areas, then we would actually have, we would actually have majorities in those areas that would actually change the composition of Congress. Hmm. And that's fascinating to me. And he he breaks down all the numbers, and so I remember sharing this with my hubby, and because he's had a sharp learning curve, right? Where he loved my hair initially, he also had to learn very quickly that we don't we don't we don't enter spaces um, perceived the same way, right? Yeah. And so I remember sharing this about him, and what what he said without hesitation was, well, and he uses a lot of sparkle words as a railroader, so I won't say the sparkle words, but he said well, let's move back to Louisiana. Answer sparkle word, sparkle word. Without hesitation. And I share this story because, yes, we have to be able and be, create our own network, our own underground railroad, if you will, for equity. We have to do what our ancestors did. We have to do what Uh, Martin Luther King, and he was only the face of it. There were so many other people, as I'm sure you know, that were really pushing it. But we have to create those safety structures for us. And we need our white allies, since they are the dominant culture, our majority culture in the United States, right? And definitely the ones in power. We need them to be a part of this. And that's one thing I share with my hubby all the time. Like, I need you to be having these conversations. When I'm not around, like when you're at work, when you're out and about, and I'm not here, that's how we move the needle because everyone needs a little perspective. And I said, and you have it in spades, but most people, most white people, do not.
1: You know, there's there's just so much I think to as we're having this conversation, right? And and I'm like, it it, it never fails to happen. It's like, all right. Cool. We're, we go through my, my kind of like three phases and then we get to the phase <laughs> three and it's like, oh, we're, we're entering back into phase one because now this is a whole nother thing that we could, we could just keep going, um, <laughs> which is, which is great. It's okay. it's just, there's so much in, I don't know. I, 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 I hope right. That as we're, as we are talking, as we're doing this work, as the individuals listening to the show, whether it's this episode or other episodes, you know, that, that we're learning that we don't have to necessarily accept things the way they are. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've seen that in this country to kind of this, this up and down as we've pushed back, you know, this, um, I, I watched this thing the other day with, oh, and I forgot his name, but it, it, it was, you know, one of the Netflix episodes, mm-hmm. um, you know, you talked about kind of this hill, right? Like we were, we, we go up and we, we kind of fall back down and then we, we go through these struggles and we push up and we push up. Like, so where are we at right now? And, you know, and and I would like to think, I would like to think right now that we're we're realizing once again, like we, we don't have to to sit back. We don't have yes. to just accept things the way they are. Understanding, yes, it's going to be messy. You know, it's kind of like taking the lessons learned and reapplying them. And so I just, you know, I want to say, thank you for, you know, having spaces like this where we can have conversations, right? And share our experiences and how we've taken that into our work and what others can do. So, you know, just thank you for coming into this space and having that conversation with me.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's, these are the things we need to talk about and it it can never get old, right? Like we have to be able to talk about this until it changes.
1: Well, I'm sure that there are listeners who are like, I, I, I don't want this, <laughs> you know, episode to end yet. I want to learn more. I want to be able to connect. So, how can they find you? How can they connect with you?
0: So, if you're on social media, um, I am. I'm not really on TikTok, so that's just like my guilty pleasure of looking at all the crazy dances that, in my mind, I think I could still do. But uh, any other social media, you can find me at M Gross G R O S S. Taylor, um, or just simply search Marlena Gross Taylor, and you should be able to find me. Uh, and we'd love to have all of your listeners join us and follow Edgy Gladiators and join our Twitter chats on Saturdays. Especially this month, we have been talking all month long about being um, unapologetic DEI, and uh, and so you can go back to the old chats, um, listen to our our rebranded podcast, Real Talk Edu our Real Talk Education and dive deeper in this because we're not holding anything back in our chats. We never really have in our chats, um, but we're not holding anything back. And we are just recommitted, myself and the team of of amazing educators that do this with me, um, to really starting to bring in this new era of education where every kid, each kid, not only feels valued, but has a positive experience
1: well thank you once again and you definitely make sure that you connect with the chat it is a great space um you know if if you're new to twitter if you're new to chats definitely make sure that you are part of that conversation um so again marlena thank you so much you know not just for being on the episode because that is wonderful but just for all the work that you're doing uh you know for for your well that you did for your kids but that you're doing in the world (laughs) of education um, It is much, much needed. So thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Oh, thank you for having me, Charles. And I just love the work that you're doing as well. You inspire me for sure. Oh,
1: well, thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm sure that we will connect again until that time. Thank you. I want to thank you for listening to the Counter Narrative Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to like, subscribe, and of course, share it with friends and family. I'd also love to hear your thoughts about the show, so please leave a comment or two as well. Now, I'm not sure what platform you're using, but the show can be found on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty of other platforms. If the show isn't on your preferred site, let me know, and I'll be sure to get it up and running. This podcast is also featured on schoolrubric.com, where you can find educational articles, videos, and interviews with educators from around the globe. Be sure to connect with me and other listeners by following the show on Twitter at The CN Podcast and joining the show's Facebook group. Take care.